staff retreat later that day. And so I came home and uh, did what I had to do for the staff retreat and then met the staff in Mount Juliet, Tennessee for a two-night staff retreat. And we had determined that we wanted our staff retreat to focus on creativity and innovation. And so therefore, I put together a study that looked at the differences between creative thinking, thinkers and critical thinkers and how we both need people who think with the opposite side of the brain that we tend to lean towards. So if I'm a left brain thinker, which means typically I'm more critical, I need to spend time with right brain thinkers who tend to be more creative because every staff, every church has both kinds of people that lean in a particular uh, place. And so it's how to balance the differences to create something beautiful as opposed to seeing those differences as something combative. And so we spent time looking at that. We also did some brainstorming as a staff. And we talked about what our greatest problems are at Strong Tower Bible Church. And there were things that I assumed were going to be the top problems in our church. But as we all got together and brainstormed together and kind of let it develop on its own, uh, my staff recognized that, man, our greatest problems in this church, it's not right now the fact that we're a little strained for money. No, that, that's not the greatest problem. Uh, the fact that we had to close the balcony down temporarily, that's not our greatest challenge. Uh, they said that, man, our greatest challenge, our greatest problems stem out of our transition that we've been going through for over a year now as we move from Franklin here. That there's been so much moving going on, trying to make things work and put things together, that what has happened is that in the midst of all this moving, we've lost our identity and our vision. We're, we're trying to understand who and what we are. And so as our staff, we were just sitting around talking about that and eventually praying about that. They said, Pastor, it would be good if you just spent a little bit of time talking to us about what our vision is as a church because we have a lot of new people who are coming, who are joining the church, and we can't assume they're going to pick it up. Um, if you could take some time talking about our vision, that will restore our identity. And, and, and not only an identity, we, we really don't want what we were. God's doing a new thing. We want what he's doing now. He's doing something now. So, Pastor, would you talk about vision? And so uh, because of that, I'm going to deviate from the series right now on sound doctrine. And I'm going to take some time just talking about identity for Strong Tower Bible Church, um, who we are in God's grand scheme of the kingdom, that we are one small piece of God's redemptive puzzle. And just talking about what he has given us and what he is doing here so that you can understand because if you don't understand who we are and what we've been called to, you can't run with the vision. You can't add to the vision. So let me spend just a, a little bit of time the next few Sundays just talking about vision and who we are. That being said, would you turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3? I'm going to pray, and then we'll spend a little time together, and I'll call the guys and the ladies back to close us with a song. And then Christy will close us in prayer today. Um, in the meantime, I've got some tickets um, to the game today. Uh, did the Houston Texans chapel last night, and they gave me some nosebleed seats. 
in the 300s. And so I will set these here on the stage. If you would like to take them, they are yours. You can even go during the service. You don't have to wait till the church is over. You can get up like they do in other churches. You know how other churches, they walk up and put some money on the stage. I'm not saying do that, but get up and go grab that and keep on walking to the parking lot. And nobody's going to look at you. Pastor John said we need to have a place where there's no judgment. And so come grab them tickets if you want them. Let's pray. <laughs> oh, Father, thank you that I have a home church. And it has nothing to do with the fact that I lead it by serving it as the pastor. But no, Lord, you've allowed me to be a part of this family. These are my brothers and my sisters, my fathers and my mothers, my sons and my daughters. And Lord, I, I love them and I miss them. Thank you, Lord, that absence made the heart grow even fonder. Lord, and I pray for people who don't have family, not just biological family, but above all, spiritual family. For your son even taught us that those who do the will of God, they are our brothers, our sisters, our fathers, and our mothers. Thank you for the new thing that you are doing in this church. Keep doing it, Lord. I pray that you would not only fill our cups, but that our cups would overflow. My God, do it, Jesus. And I just pray that you'll help me teach and share with your people. Holy Spirit, help me teach. And then, Holy Spirit, help your people discern what is being taught. It's all about you. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, our vision as a church, praise the Lord. Our vision. Do we have another? Do we have another? Our vision. <laughs> our vision is to experience and to expand God's diverse kingdom in the city and throughout the world. That's our vision, is to experience and to expand God's diverse kingdom in the city and throughout the world. Well, let me explain this vision, and then I'm going to talk about experiencing it and then expanding it. So number one, let, let's explain it. And for Strong Tower Bible Church, who we are and what we do comes forth from the word of God. So in Galatians chapter 3, we have a situation going on. As a matter of fact, when Paul wrote this letter sometime around A.D. 48, he was writing to a congregation that had the potential for division. Because in this congregation, it was anything but a homogeneous congregation or a group of churches where everybody was the same. But no, when he wrote to the Christians in the churches of Galatia, you had Jewish converts to Christ, Gentile or Greek Roman converts to Christ. You had people with means, people without economic means. You had slaves, you had free people, and of course you had men, women, boys and girls, people from various classes, experiences, and walks of life. And this new thing called the church was beginning to take form. Now, back in Genesis chapter 12, God made it clear that through Jesus, every family on the face of the earth would be blessed. Through Jesus, and then this guy named Abraham, all of these people would come together, all of the families. It was always God's intention for us to be together. 
and not be divided or separated. And he was going to do it through the Jewish people, namely through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so as people are being converted, both Jews and Gentiles, men and women, rich and poor, they're forming this thing called the body of Christ, the church. And so Paul wanted to write them to encourage them because unfortunately there were some Jewish converts who were bringing with them their Judaistic laws. They were saying that Jesus wasn't enough and the Gentiles who were coming to faith, they needed to be circumcised just like the Jews had been circumcised. And so Paul had to deal with that to basically say, circumcision doesn't mean anything. What counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's not the cutting of the flesh. It's the changing of the heart. And if you try to keep the law by getting circumcised, you're really putting a yoke on the Gentiles that the Jews couldn't even carry. Because if you're going to give them one law, you need to give them all of the laws. But that's why he says in the book of Galatians that the law was added. It was like a tutor to lead us to grace in Jesus Christ. But the Gentiles were coming in. They had issues, too, because they were coming out of a world of hedonism and Hellenism. And so they had various beliefs that Paul also had to address, namely in the area of sexual morality. So he spends time in the latter parts of Galatians dealing with the practical outworkings of holy living as one is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. So you've got this group of people. They've come together with different religious uh, beliefs. But right there in the middle of it, Paul talks about the true gospel. Because some were promoting a gospel that was really no gospel at all because it was rules-based legalistic acceptance. Then you have people coming in with no laws whatsoever, just living however they wished, and right there in the middle of the potential for division, you had the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul talked about the common bond that Jews and Gentiles who came to Christ had. And that was in Abraham. Because Abraham was the father of Gentiles who came to faith in Jesus. Because Abraham had a relationship with the Lord, became a believer before he received in his body the sign of circumcision. And so, therefore, because he was justified by faith, God saw Abram's faith and gave him righteousness without circumcision. So, too, Gentiles can be made right with God without the sign of circumcision. But because Abraham did get circumcised later, and that did become a premier component of the Jewish people, Jewish people who got circumcised can follow Abraham's example as one who trusts not in their circumcision or in the law, but in Jesus Christ for salvation. So he's the father of those Jews who believe, just as he's the father of Gentiles who believe. So Paul took them to their commonality in Abraham, but above all, their common bond in Jesus Christ. Wherever there's potential for division, the gospel of Jesus should be the thing, or he should be the one to bring dividing people and places together. Mm, 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 mm. And so he writes to them, and we come to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Ah, I love it, I love it, I love it. And Paul says to that multi-ethnic, multi-economic church, he says, for you are all 
sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Can somebody say hallelujah? Thank you, Jesus. We are all sons and daughters of God, not through works, but through faith in Jesus, who did the work on our behalf to save us from our sin. Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And this is not speaking of water baptism. This is speaking of a spiritual baptism whereby they have now been identified with Christ, placed under Christ, placed into Christ. That when Jews and Gentiles put their faith in Jesus, they were baptized or placed into Christ, placed into the body, meaning that now Christ is their identity, not the law, not their Jewishness, not their Gentileness, Christ is their identity. They've been placed in him. Paul said in Colossians, we've been hidden in Christ. And then in verse 27, he goes on to say that we also put on Christ. So these sinners, whether they were Jews or Gentiles, men or women, boys or girls, rich or poor, their identity was now found in the fact that they had been baptized into Christ by grace through faith. And they have put on Christ meaning that Christ is their identity and nothing else. So today, there will be teams playing each other on a football field. And the way you will know who's on what team is by what team they identify with, mainly by what they have put on when they came out of that locker room. Titans players will put on Titans uniforms, and Texans players will put on Texans uniforms. They are identifying with their team. And we've come out of a locker room called Grace, and we put on Jesus Christ, and we are now identified with him as the saints of God. All saints ain't from New Orleans. Some of us are from all over the world, man. And our identity, we, we put them on. We put them on. So when you look at me, you see Jesus. My identity is in him. Mm, mm, mm. Now, verse 28, there is neither, because of this identity, that has just happened, that we've been given. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. This was radical. In 48 AD, the first century, where there was noted tension between Jews and Gentiles, Blood had been shed. Wars had been fought. The Jews had been under the tutelage of various nations from Babylon and Persia and Greece, now Rome. And Paul has the audacity to say that they are now one in Christ. That this thing that was happening in the body of Christ was so different than what was going on in the world that it was unheard of. And then when he says things like, that's neither male nor female. Now, he's not saying that a male stops being a male and a female stops being a female. He's just saying that even our gender differences, though real, should not be the primary thing whereby we get our identity from. We should get our identity from being in Christ. So in this verse, I want to know if you see what I see. When he says there is neither Jew nor Greek, I see race right there. Now, 
race is one of those things we don't always like to talk about because sometimes it makes us uncomfortable and it pushes buttons and it brings up all kinds of memories and experiences and feelings. And we all have experiences and opinions about race. But let it be known right here, right now, by the authority of Scripture that it's okay for the church and Christians to talk about race. A lot of times Christians don't ever want to talk about race until something blows up in the culture that forces us to now deal with something that we never talk about. But not only are we going to talk about it, but above all, we're going to talk about it through Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about race through grace. Uh, because if we start with race on a sociological level, an anthropological level, we're going to all be fighting in here. And it's not just here. We can go to South Africa. We can go to parts of the world. Men are divided because of sin, pride, and arrogance, the fallen human heart. So we can't start with the anthropological and the sociological, or we will kill each other. But, with pe but there's people with a new identity. People who are now in Christ, baptized, put on Christ. We can talk about race through him now. We don't have to be afraid to talk about it. We don't have to put our heads in the ground like ostriches and act like we don't see it because if we don't see it, maybe it won't see us. That's what ostriches do when they're running. That's a hard word to say fast. When they're running from uh, being prey, them rascals put their head in the ground. Their head is in the ground, but their rear end is sticking out. How stupid does that look? Because they think if what is chasing me, if I don't see it, maybe it won't see me. And a lot of times as Christians, we put our head in the ground when it's time to talk about race and we don't want to see it, especially my white brothers and sisters. Uh, you many times don't see it because you've never had to see it. But as you get in community with me, I will be glad to take my lenses off and let you look at life through how I see life. And let me see your lenses and let me look because when I get close enough to you and you to me, we can share lenses. But above all, hopefully the lens we're looking through ultimately is the lens of Scripture, the lens of the kingdom to address racial issues. Why is the church always behind? Why is the church silent when this stuff jumps off? Or we want to spend so much time in the spirituals and the heavenlies talking about our position that we never get down into the practical of working this stuff out in the nasty here and now. There has to be a balance of dealing with race. But then there's also class. He says there's neither slave nor free. There are class distinctions in the body of Christ. Everybody's not rich, and everybody's not supposed to be rich. You know why? Because God made some people poor. <gasps> I know that won't jive with some of our favorite prosperity preachers, but it does reconcile with the Bible where it says that God makes the rich and the poor. And poverty is not as bad as we want to make it to be because blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. The poor have an advantage over the rich, James says, because the poor are rich in faith. Jesus was anointed to minister to the poor. Man, the last are going to be first in the kingdom. And so... God makes some people poor, maybe because that's the only way they would trust in him. Mm, there's a theology there. We don't have time to dig in there. But man, the only thing worse, coming from an American perspective, 
as far as being poor is being a rich person and going to hell. Because in Luke 16, Lazarus was poor, but man, he went to heaven. The rich dude, Jesus didn't even give his name. He died and bust hell wide open. Which would you rather be? I'd rather be poor on my way to heaven. But the truth is we're all poor when we look at where we stand before God. What do we have? And anything I have in my hand, he gave it to me to use for his sake, not for my own puffed upness. Oh, boy, I got to get going. I got to get going. Church don't want to talk about the rich and the poor. The church don't want to talk about ministering to the least of these. The church doesn't want to talk about how to hold rich people accountable. 1 Timothy 6 deals with that, saying that rich people should give the money God gives them to the things of God. So why is it that we live in the wealthiest country in the world, but Christians give less than any other religious group in the world, and we claim to be a Christian nation? Could it be that the wealth we have has us more than God has us and we're holding on to money and we're building our kingdoms here rather than, as Jesus said, lay up treasures in heaven, send it ahead, invest it in the kingdom. Most Christians, man, give barely 3%. Oh, woo-hoo. Oh, it's tight, but it's right. This is good. That's how we grow. We grow when we get stretched and challenged. Then he says also, there is neither male nor female. Mm, mm, mm. We are going to deal with this in weeks to come. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. Your oneness in Christ supersedes your natural distinctions. Our oneness. Pastor, you read from Colossians this morning that in everything Jesus may have the supremacy, even in race, in class, and in gender. He should have supremacy in those places. And when we acknowledge his supremacy, we can experience a kind of unity that the world will never experience. But those of us who have the access to this power, we don't utilize it because we're too carnal, just like the world. And I love how he says, we have been made one in Christ. Not the same. He's not calling for a Jew to be a Greek or for a Greek to be a Jew or for a man to be a woman or a woman to be a man. He's saying, man, celebrate your differences. But above all, celebrate your oneness in Jesus Christ. Because it's through oneness that we can work through the challenges that come in our differences. So church, let's be real about it. And sometimes if you don't come here as a wineskin, flexible, adaptable, teachable. Because for most of us, this diverse church stuff is new. I came from an all-black church. I didn't worship with white folk till I went to college. And I said, man, this is so different from growing up in the Baptist church down on Poplar Grove Street in Baltimore. And I bet they were saying the same thing, too. But something happens when we come together. It's less about us and more about him and how I can serve others. Oh, yes. <laughs> so explaining it, man, that, that's the diverse kingdom. Race, class, gender, our oneness is in Jesus. Hmm. Well, Pastor, how do we experience it? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's make this our prayer like Jesus did. 
Lord, let me experience some heaven on earth till I get to heaven. Your will be done down here the way it's done up there. Well, what's up there? Revelation 5.9. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So heaven is a wonderful, diverse city. Why can't I get some of that here? Dr. King said it in 1963 that 11 o'clock on Sunday is the most segregated hour in America. How much has changed since 1963? We are more comfortable worshiping with people who are like us, whether that's political, financial, theological, racial. But how much of the Christian life is supposed to be about comfort? I thought I was called to carry a cross, not to carry a comfort pillow from a Costco. I'll lay down my burdens by the riverside and I'll rest, cross the Jordan. One, one morning, one giddy up morning, I'll cross the chilly Jordan. I'll study war no more and I'll put my sword into a plowshare and I'll put on my slippers and my robe and walk around heaven. But that ain't that time right now. Right now I got to carry a cross. I got work to do. But the beautiful thing is with Jesus when you give, you receive. So to be able to worship with people who are different from you, even with the music, even with the preaching, the style of the church, and you know, when I give, when I yield, I'm going to get back something I've never gotten before. That's black people, white people, brown people, red people, yellow people, everybody got to lay it down, and he'll give you something to pick up that you could have never picked up if you just stay with your own kind. But there are folks who say, it's more comfortable with my own kind. Because around election season, I know what kind of sermons I'm going to hear. Either for or against this side or that side. I don't want to be somewhere that where they may stretch my thinking a little bit. I don't want to be somewhere. I grew up, baptism was this way and that way. I don't want to be around people who see it a little bit differently. But many times, Jesus is in the difference. So we bring heaven to earth Bring it to earth by loving each other. Oh, my God. Isn't that what he said? The world will know that you're my disciples. When y'all can cross race, class, and gender line, they'll know by the love, not the conferences, not the books, not the concerts, but by the love you show for one another. Oh, man. We love each other by not only exchanging lenses, but we also exchange shoes. I get close enough to you to put my feet in your shoes. You put your feet in my shoes. Because I'm going to walk a mile in your moccasins. I want to walk a mile in your pro kids. I want, well, I can't walk a mile in your heels. But I want to walk so I can understand you. So I can one day maybe stand under you. So you can come to church and feel like, your brothers and sisters get you, and they support you, not that they judge you. And then we'll get close enough together where when you go to Haiti, and we thank God we're one of the only diverse teams in the airport. Most of the other teams are all white or all black, and God bless for black people going on the mission field. Oh, that's a whole nother talk. Black folk feel, hey, man, America is our mission field. I ain't got time to go to Haiti to deal with poor folk. I got to deal with poor folk right here in Detroit. 
But black folks, you still got a responsibility to go to the world. If you don't like all them white people going to Africa, black churches, get up and go to Africa too. Black folk, don't stop criticizing white people for adopting them black babies. Black folks, stop adopting uh, Rufus and, and Nene and all them and, and, and adopt some African kids and some Haitian kids. See, I say stuff that other people want to say, but they scared to say, but I ain't scared to say it. <laughs> Come on, black people. And Strong Tower is an equal opportunity dispenser. Sometimes I'll have black people mad at me. Sometimes I'll have white people mad at me. Uh, Sometimes the black people will think I'm not black enough. Sometimes the white folk will think I'm too black. Hey, man, hey, it's all right. It's all good. We are who we are. Jesus is working it out. And so when, when you get over there in Haiti, this diverse team, we sweating together. We not only change lenses and moccasins and shoes, we exchange sweat. People looking. The kids are looking. They don't see many people that look like me. They thought Michael Taylor was a Haitian. They looked at Michael Taylor, you from Haiti? Mike, like, no, I'm from New York City, man. So, so we got to get there. They got to see us. And then guess what? When you start exchanging lenses across race and gender and shoes and sweat, you might even exchange some spit. Mm -hmm. Let the church say A. Say A. I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about. Then give me the men later. Remember when Jesus ministered to the Samaritan woman? What did he do? He drank out of her cup. Meaning that he wasn't afraid to touch her personhood, even if that meant exchanging saliva. Because, man, if you're willing to exchange saliva with me and not act like I got the cooties or something, that tells me you really have incarnated not only to save my soul, but to touch my person. You shared your cup with me. You shared spit with a woman that the Jewish people thought was just a cast out. Oh, man, Jesus. Now, some of y'all, though, I don't know if I'm going to drink after some of y'all, all this coughing going on right now. But anyway, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> the few times I could get on my iPad, i get on the news. Everybody talking about Ebola over here, Ebola, Ebola, Ebola. They ain't talking about Ebola in other parts of the world. Not like the way we talking about you. About three people that got diagnosed. You would have thought 30 million people got Ebola, Ebola, Ebola. But in other parts of the world, especially the, the, the third world, <laughs> Ebola, man. For some people, that, that's a step up as far as just a, a, a step down as far as diseases that people get and get healed from. Stuff we cry about. That's why we need to go out. That's why we need to be around poor people. Because, again, they have a, a kind of substance in God that we wealthy, spoiled people need to get in touch with. Man, sometimes we can be punkish. That is in the Bible somewhere. But anyway, we can be punkish, man. So let's worship together. Let's pray together. Let's work together. Let's serve together. Let's stand together. Let's eat together. Let's learn together. Let's grieve together. Let's rejoice together. Let's laugh together. Let's study together. Let's go together. Let's fight together. Let's minister together. Man, we just got to be together. Because I'm not together if we're not together. I don't want to go to an all this church or an all that kind of church. I want to go to a diverse church so that I can finally expand the diverse kingdom. How do we do that? Man, make disciples. We do it the old-fashioned way. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Not just the Jews. 
but all of the ethnos in the Greek, all the nations. Why? Because it was always God's heart from Genesis 12 to Revelation 5 to include all the nations around the throne of God, worshiping Jesus who shed his blood to buy us all back from sin. Why do I got to wait to go to heaven and get that? Give me some of that right here, right now. Make disciples. And so for Strong Tower, man, to expand the kingdom, we have to continue to be intentional in making disciples. We also need to be intentional to build a staff that reflects the diverse kingdom. You know I could spend time there, but it's always good when you can look at the leadership and see people that look like you in leadership. That's so important. We have to be intentional to send and support missionaries locally, nationally, and internationally who promote God's diverse kingdom. We need to be intentional to partner with churches and church plants that emphasize God's diverse kingdom. Strong Tower to expand God's diverse kingdom. We must be intentional to encourage and support cross-racial adoptions and interracial marriages. One of the things that makes me proud to have a church like this, to be a part of a church like this, is that when people who have adopted outside of their ethnicity are looking for a church and they can't seem to find one because people look at them odd or they've married someone of a different ethnicity and they can't go to the church he grew up in or the church she grew up in because of prejudice and fear, I thank God when they find this place. I thank God when they find this place. Oh, no, this place ain't perfect. Oh, no. But, man, there's love here. There's people they can identify with here. And we have to be intentional to participate in local causes that require a GDK perspective. Mm. And we have to be intentional to write, publish, and produce materials on God's diverse kingdom. We have to keep teaching and sharing because I believe God gave us something. um, And we want to steward it well. So in conclusion, as the band comes back, we will continue mm -hmm, with God's grace, the power of the Spirit to experience. Because if this thing were easy, we'd see a lot more of it. But it's not easy. But with God, we can experience, oh man, Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers can dwell together in unity. Not uniformity, but unity. It's like the precious oil that ran down Aaron's face, the anointing oil. There's an anointing when we experience it. And every Sunday we experience something that is fresh, an anointing from God. We will continue to experience and expand God's diverse kingdom because we know that our oneness in Christ supersedes our natural distinctions of race, class, and gender. God has a way of giving me things that I didn't ask for. I guess that's why it's called grace. It's unearned, unmerited favor and goodness. Right before I turned 16, he gave me Jesus. Now, before that, he gave me a great family. He put me in a great family. But then he gave me Jesus. He changed my life. Then he gave me a buddy in college in Daryl Fitzgerald. I didn't ask for Pastor Darrell. He just showed up in my room, and there he was. And we ended up being friends and will be till Jesus comes. Then he gave me the love of my life, this woman right here. I wasn't looking for her. I didn't ask God for her. 
that he brought this gift because every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. He just kept giving me things I didn't ask for. And then when I moved to Nashville thinking I would do rap music, he took that away and gave me Christ Community Church. I didn't ask to be with all these white Presbyterian folk. 3,000 strong, wearing sandals and stuff. I'm like, what? Where are the suits and the shoes? But he gave me something. Scotty Smith's teaching about grace set me free from my Baptist legalism. And I saw this church with a heart for the community. Next thing I know, I'm talking about doing something I said I would never do, and that's start a church. So I'm in the black community. I get a burden because what I'm seeing black men going to jail, black men without jobs, black men in broken homes. I'm like, Lord, I will try to do my best to serve the black men in the community, to turn the community around. God says, okay, that's cool and all. But as you're thinking about planting this church, I need you to plant my church because I'm giving you favor with white people that you didn't ask for who come from Christ Community Church who kept telling me if you start a church, we're in. So God, from the beginning, was putting black people, white people, different denominations, different economics together. And so Strong Tower is a wave that God has created that all I'm doing is by obedience, putting my sail up and letting the Holy Ghost take us where he want to take us. I didn't create it because I didn't create my relationship with Jesus. I didn't create my friendship with PD. I didn't create my relationship with this beautiful woman. Surely didn't create my steps to get at Christ community. And I didn't create Strong Tower. He did it. And I'm just here trying to navigate and follow what he's doing. Because the best stuff, he does beautiful things. And he uses the dust and the rags. He redeems us to do something. Paul said, Paul said, he gave me the ministry, the apostleship to the Gentiles, just like he gave Peter the grace to be an apostle to the Jews. And he's working in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. I'm a Jew, but I got this favor with Gentiles. He gave Peter something with the Jews. Every church is not supposed to be interracial, but for the ones that are, he gives the leader a grace to do it. He gave me a grace to do this. He gave me a grace to do, and I believe he gave you a grace to be here. Because everybody don't want this. Everybody can't see this. But if he's given you, if he chose you, <laughs> there it is, stand to your feet. If he chose you, stand to your feet. To be a part of the diverse kingdom as it's working through Strong Tower, enjoy it. Don't let it frustrate you. Don't let it scare you. Don't go get your old wine skin and try to make this be where you came from. It's not that. Let him do it. Oh, and he's not finished yet. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of man. Not only the things that God has in store for us when we get to heaven, but bringing that heaven right down here. He makes beautiful things. Can I get an amen? Put your hands together and give him some praise. Pastor, take us.